I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to What I Do Cobblers, Friday Night Lights and the Fountain Town Audio Show. I'm Tom Reed, and in the week of the American presidential inauguration, I'm joined by Andrew Jackson Bodfish, Martin Van Buren Maloney, Ian Biden Brandt, and Thomas Jefferson Lake. How are you doing, hey. guys? All right? <laughs> I'm all right, thanks. Hail uh, to the chief. Hail to the chief. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ian. I couldn't find many presidents that were named Ian, so they need to up their game on the Ian front, the uh, American president. It, they're due, we're due one, aren't we? <laughs> President Ian, <laughs> take the oath. <laughs> no, are there that many Ians in America? Because it's like a Scottish name, isn't it? Is, is there a lot of Scottish immigration? It's more like Biden's Irish, isn't he? He's, yeah, you probably have more Ians, I would imagine. In Can- Canada's a lot more Scots went to, I think. Can anyone think of an American yeah. Ian, full stop? That's a great uh, question. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm thinking through baseball players. There are there are very few. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I'm, that. <laughs> I'm quite liking the buzz around Joe Biden's inauguration. It kind of reminds me of when Hildebato Pereira signed for the Cobblers, and the <laughs> whole club was just a buzz. But I've got a little uh, I've got a little quiz for you guys. I know we've got a couple of history buffs in our ranks. Um, I know. Jeff is into his American culture as well. So a um, little quiz about the American inauguration, American presidents. Can you name me two US presidents from the 20th century that share their surnames with Cobblers players past or present and who Ooh. those players are? There's actually four, but I'll let you do two. Go easy on you. Ronald Reagan, Reagan Paul. Does that count? <laughs> that's a really good one, but that's... No, that yeah, doesn't count. No, it's good, it's good no, but it's no. not right. Yeah, it's a good one. It's close. Oh, I can give you a clue if you're struggling. Just think Jimmy, of uh, Jimmy Carter, Darren Carter. Yes, that's one. Shout. We must have had a Ford that played for the Cobblers, but I can't think who it would be. It's a fairly common name. So you just need no, uh, Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson and about 17 Johnsons yes. under Calderwood. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, Brett, Brett, yeah. Even Lyndon B. Johnson, wasn't it? And you had yeah. Brett yeah. Bradley and um, who was the other one beginning with B? There was three. We, I know it was Gavin, was it? Brett Bradley and Gavin, all in the same. Yeah. So, what, what is that? Let's stop here. Eddie Eisenhower up front. <laughs> <laughs> but so you've got two. You might as well keep going. There's uh, a couple more. I'll give you a little oh, clue yeah. on uh, another one. One is a big favourite of Andy's um, that used to go in Chicago's, partake of the sizzling platter. Uh, Woodrow Wilson, Kevin Wilson. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's correct. The, the last one is really quite hard. Um, Jeff might get it if I gave him enough clues, because um, I think Just he was coming up at the time. Oh, oh blimey, okay. Uh... So, yeah, not at the time of when this president was around. This president was <laughs> yeah. probably about 1920. <laughs> Quite an average midfielder, quite tall, lean, work-a-day midfielder, you know, get it past it. Probably around the time of uh, Eddie Boothroyd, maybe? Where did he come from? Wickham or somewhere? I couldn't see. These clues are terrible. Joe Burnell? No, no, but that's that's a very good profile. Yeah. I, I can't think of it. I'm trying to do the president part and I'm, I've got stuck. 
Um, okay, so the president's first name begins with Warren. I'll give you that. And he's also a, a rapper's name. James Hardy. Warren Hardy. <laughs> yes. So can yeah, we think ben of a player? Harding. Ben, ben Harding. Yeah. That's well correct. done. <laughs> yeah, you did pretty good. well with that. I enjoyed that. The trouble is, isn't it a bit like you remember the good players and you remember the bad players? Those ones who were just kind of average and played almost every week sometimes get forgotten. Yeah, very much so. Let's face it, you're not really going to put Darren Carter and Jimmy Carter in the conversation or a sentence. <laughs> I reckon uh, it would be funny if you were scanning the crowd at the inauguration and Darren Carter was sitting there. <laughs> with Kevin Wilson. <laughs> just hanging out with a, with a platter. <laughs> Chatting to Biden's wife. <laughs> but yeah, that was a good one. And you did, you did really well on that one, so fair play. Um, how are you getting on, Andy? Have you got a football moment of the week for us? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm coping with this lockdown absolutely fine. Um, as I was saying to the microwave only about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> but um, yeah, I have got a football moment of the week, actually. And it's uh, the the idea of the um, the breakaway Super League has reared its very ugly head again, I note, uh, over the last seven days or so. Big money getting behind it. JP Morgan supposedly putting together a package to make sure everyone's happy financially. Um, and sort of FIFA have come out and drawn a line in the sand, haven't they, and said, look, if this happens, any players, you can do it, but you're going to be banned from playing in the World Cup and all our competitions. And you know, There are going to be repercussions, basically. So, I mean, far be it from me to defend FIFA, um, you know, in the battle between the superpower clubs and FIFA, it's it's very much like sort of being trapped in a room with Jeremy Clarkson and Piers Morgan and having only one bullet in the gun, isn't it? Who, who do you shoot? Yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think probably FIFA um, have um, have done us all a favour, really, there, in saying, look, you know, there are going to be repercussions to the way we all understand the game, basically. Yeah. And it's the first time. They've come out and sort of said anything is definitive. JP Morgan, the romance of football isn't dead. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> the thing is, a lot of this stuff is actually, there's it, probably not much currency and thought from FIFA about this. They're probably worried about their World Cup and their competitions. And yeah, it's I mean, just well, a sort of yeah, a, a power well, battle, isn't it? Sitting here and defending FIFA, are you? And saying that, you know, sort of they're the, the custodians of all that is good in the, in, in terms of football heritage but you've got to pick a side in this really and if it's um, if it's with FIFA then pff, so be it even if you're holding your nose mm. I think the, uh, quite an important point to make is I read quite a lot about these so-called European Super Leagues and breakaway leagues if you look at the small print they're very rarely and I'm, to be honest I haven't read this story too much but they're very rarely actual proper breakaway leagues because I think a lot of fans would be like, right, Man United and Liverpool signing off to a European Super League. Right, that might give us a bit of room to breathe in the rest of English football. But most of the plans are have a, a Super League during the week and play the Premier League. So have, you know, your cake and eat it. And that is, you know, a terrible idea. I wouldn't personally be necessarily against it if they were going to break away properly, but they never do, do they? It's just... They well, yeah, everything. it's sort of an empty close thing that happened when the Champions League was rebranded. So European Super yeah. League. Well, that's what the Champions League is. That's a good one, though. I, I think that's a good one and something we need to keep an eye on. Uh, Martin, what's your football moment of the week, mate? Um, well, I would say up until uh, this week, I had never heard of C.D. Alcoyano. <laughs> they're, a, they're a small team from Valencia. Um playing a 4,800-seater stadium in Segunda Division B Group 3. Now, I, don't, I did once play down in the lower leagues in Spain, but I never quite got how it's structured. But that's a long way down. And they played Real Madrid in the Cup. And they beat them 2-1 after extra time. And I'm just going to give you some match stats, because this is, we talked about the FA Cup and the magic of it. So this will be Alciano first. Shots in total. Shots. Five Alciano, 26 Madrid. <laughs> On target, three versus 11. Tom, 
possession. Twenty-seven <laughs> to seventy-three. <laughs> Passes three hundred and twenty-one to eight hundred and fifty-seven. And I could go on. But they beat Madrid 2-1 after extra time, despite going down to 10 men. Wow, that's a result and a half, isn't it? I don't know what's going on there to have all those stats in favour for Madrid. Um, Is it it Dan the manager there? He's he's under a bit of pressure, isn't he? Uh, Yeah, I think I I saw a piece somewhere, might be in the BBC, just I was doing what passes for research for the podcast. Um, I think Guillaume Guillaume Balaguer tweeted something that he thinks they're looking for. um, They may be starting to look at the next era for Madrid because it's not really panning out great at the moment under Zidane. Oh, my, I'll tell you what, Burnley, if anyone's watching Sky Sports, their away kit wouldn't be a bad shout for the Cobblers. (laughs) I think um, if Zidane gets sacked by Real, we'll take him at Sixfields, won't we? You know, we'll take him at, uh, you know... uh, uh, cost, but I think he might be the shortest um, cobblers manager of all time. You just walk into the ground, look at the pitch, and walk out again. <laughs> it would last two seconds. But um, yeah, it's always good to have a, a giant killing. And Andy said, you know, one you know last week, and just seems that there's a few pro- cropping up now. And we got to talk a little bit, Martin, about your career in Spanish football because you haven't mentioned that before. <laughs> I was, I think it's one of those things. I mean, I'm, I'm a terrible championship manager or football manager player, but. Other yep. than winning the league with Burnley in the 1990s, which seemed a really weird thing to do and slightly, you know, when they were like a really low team. But um, I managed a team. I just looked for a name I liked. It was called CD. Bar- oh, you managed one. You managed it. I thought you played in the Spanish lower leagues. I must have oh, missed no, no. Sorry, about it. <laughs> Spanish lower leagues to Club 81. I was like, you've kept that quiet, Martin. <laughs> and so, what team did you, man- did you manage? Uh, they were called CD Badahoff. Um, right. And they played in black and white stripes. And you see, I've loads of lone players. Uh, a lot of them were Latin American and were very good. But yeah, I, ne- I never really warmed to it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's always good to on championship manager in those days to find this all the obscure team and try and take them to glory. But um, yeah, so like I said, it's 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 nice to have a few giant killings. Hopefully, a few more to come. Um, let's go to you, Ian. Have you got a football moment of the week, mate? Yes, mate. It's another family connection. My sister was really excited this week because she got an Instagram message from her teenage crush. Do you want to guess who it was? Phil Neal. Played for Man, played for Man No, played for Man United. That would have been complicated. Played for Man United um, in the late 80s. Striker. Scottish. Partnered Mark Hughes. Brian, not Brian McClare. Not Brian McClare. Yeah, it was Chucky. And he signed it Chucky, Jeff. He Brilliant. signed it Chucky. I think she said something that I didn't want to read it because, you know, when it's your sister, you're not really sure, you know. But I think she sent him a message, something along the lines of, I was a big fan of yours in the late 80s. And, um, yeah, he replied, replied, oh, that's lovely to hear, and blah, blah, blah. And he signed it off, Chucky. Isn't that nice? That's very nice. She had a crush on Brian McClare. She did. She did. did, did. Brian McClare. He's not art for (laughs) <laughs> Not, you know, gigs and sharp. I mean, now a little bit later, but yeah, believe it. Wowzers. I think we're to Andy, would you say that, obviously, it's not your remit, but would you say that Brian McClare was, was a pin-up back in those days? Uh, it, wouldn't have, it wasn't foremost <laughs> in my... <laughs> <laughs> he was really good for Celtic, wasn't he? Did he play for Celtic? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think he went for what would seem at the time big money of around a million, a million quid. Is he the one that there's the, the, the funny story about the fe- that Scotland playing Faroe Island? So the story goes, I, and I think it was him. Scotland were playing a qualifier at Faroe Islands at some point. And he was, um, he, was, uh, he was preparing for the trip with another player and was packing shorts and T-shirts and stuff like that. <laughs> and the other player was like, what, what, what are you doing? It's like, it's, it'll be freezing there. And he said, no, Faroes, it's uh, like Egypt and that, isn't it? <laughs> I genuinely thought it was, you know, that that part of the world. Now that sounds like it's a load of bollocks, doesn't it? I'm gonna have to check that after we finish the recording. <laughs> we'll put in. We'll just uh, just leave splice it in, in who actually yeah. said it. 
Yeah, we'll leave it in. No one's gonna. No one's gonna. <laughs> no one's gonna bother checking that. I'm just I'm more. I'm just more perplexed that Ian's sister fancied by McClare, but you know, you, at least you know what to get her for a Christmas. You know, get her a frame picture of Brian McClare and his Man United pomp sharp kit. Might see if he'll sign it. Now they're, you know, now they're on a social media pal terms. He might sign something. My binding image of Brian McClare was always he used to, you know, do that thing where you sort of obviously blow your nose with that handkerchief just by putting one finger against your nostril, closing it, and just blowing. Beautiful. I just always remember Brian McClare doing that loads. I find that to be a very, that's a very effective way of clearing the path when you're out jogging in these COVID times. If you do that, people tend to step aside quite quickly. It really is. <laughs> so, yeah, we've, um, we've gone from Phil Neal to Brian McClare um, being a, a crush for Ian's, Ian's sister. He's got a lot of family stories. <laughs> Jeff, you've got a hard act to follow now. Oh, very much so. Um, funny, uh, Martin mentioned about the championship manager careers. I have some sad news to report of my Ajax career. I got to the Champions League final in the first season. We lost to Barcelona. Um, so a bit of a summer rebuild and was, came out, was quite confident for the next, next season. But the laptop it was on has today died. So oh, that wow. game is gone forever. It'd be sad to hear. Yeah. Listeners will be devastated to hear that, no doubt. Um, but the, as for the, that, so that's obviously not the football moment of the week because that's a terribly depressing moment. The football moment of the week for me is definitely the game between Leamington and Kettering Town. I don't know if yeah. you boys followed this, if the listeners were all across this. Um, so there was Kettering, the, the gist of it was Kettering had three players sent off, so it finished with eight men. There was a floodlight failure and the game had to be played. Anyway, there was some uh, some um, speculation that the FA were on the phone to Leamington saying, you've got to play this match tonight. Eventually, final whistle was blown at 11.22pm, which is quite a late finish. So already, all of that is amazing. But the best bit about it all, the absolute chef's kiss of the whole thing, was that the first Ketrin player sent off, which I think was a lad called Michael McGrath, uh, he was sent off for pushing the ref. Obviously, that's not that's definitely not OK, Michael. Uh, so he saw red for that. Uh, and then shortly afterwards, there was the floodlight failure. The guy who got sent off is a qualified electrician as his day job. <laughs> and then there was a floodlight failure. Come on. <laughs> Come on now. There's, that's something. It's something's definitely afoot there, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think we've heard the last of that particular tale. It just went on and on all night, didn't it? I saw some people tweeting about it, and it was like about 11 o'clock. I was like, well, I'm going to bed. But I think they were just <laughs> going on all night about it. Yeah. Did they have to find an electrician, like a local electrician on a call-out to go and fix the floodlights? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was the classic. I'm sure someone would have shouted out, put another 50p in the meter, which is what everyone has to <laughs> shout out when that happens. You're, you're legally obliged to shout that out when that happens. <laughs> You know who they needed to come and fix it? Uh, Sparky Mark Hughes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but yeah, that was... Um, I saw that on Twitter and that just went on and on all night. And um, I also saw the uh, push, as you said, on the referee. I think it was described as a punch. But when I went, I was like, well, I'm mm. looking forward to seeing this. But when I saw yeah. it, it was a bit disappointed. I think if you could have to... I don't, I don't advocate hitting refs, but you want to, you know, if you're going to do it, you could probably get banned for eight. <laughs> get your money for something. Right then, let's move on to the Lincoln City game on Saturday. We're joined by Mark Wiley, Imps writer for the Lincolnshire Echo and Lincolnshire Live. How's the weather in Lincoln, Mark? This game has a weather permitting feel to it going ahead. Well, I'm just looking uh, outside uh, the window of my spare room slash office and it's bright sunshine at the moment. There's a few uh, grey clouds, but it's a lot better than it was earlier in the week. A bit windy, but uh, fingers crossed we'll have a game on Saturday. Yeah, that's good. I know you've had a pre- well, your, your two previous games postponed for waterlogged pitches just like we have um does the pitch at lincoln drain well normally would you say yeah it's usually in pretty good nick it's quite rare that a lincoln match gets uh, postponed and i know michael afton's very disappointed that tuesday's game didn't go ahead the game at shrewsbury at the weekend was called off because of the covid cases in the, in the shrewsbury squad yeah. and then the tuesday game because of the waterlogged pitch um so uh, yeah i mean it's a fantastic surface it's uh, they had it relayed in the summer um, to uh, Michael Afton's specifications so the team can play good football and uh, it's, it's certainly done the trick this season so yeah I'm pretty confident there'll be a game on Saturday 
sounds almost the polar opposite of our pitch at Sigfields because we've been getting uh, quite a lot of criticism for our pitch, although it didn't seem to put Lincoln off too much when they won 4-0 uh, in December. Let's move on to Lincoln's form. It's obviously pretty strong when you actually get to get out on the pitch. Uh, top of the league, joint top of the league with Hull, but with a game in hand. Strong position. What's the recent form been like? Obviously pretty good. Outstanding. I mean, they've, um, over the first half of the season, they were fairly lucky. They weren't hit too badly by the COVID situation. But since the turn of the year, they have had a few issues on that front. But it's not really affected them at all, really. The recent form has been really good. And I think that's why there's a bit of disappointment that these recent games have been called off. I mean, you, you can look at it in one respect and say, because of injuries and COVID, it might do them a favour out of these games off. But they've coped pretty well amid that situation. So uh, I think they still would have liked to have played those games. Um, they were pretty poor for the first 20 minutes against Peterborough a couple of weeks ago. But once they got the game together, they controlled the final 70 minutes of the game and really sort of um, won it and missed a penalty in the second half as well. It ended 1-1. Um, uh, they were fantastic in the uh, Papa John's trophy last week, beating Aston 4-0. Honestly, it genuinely could have been double figures with the chances they created. And uh, But they've also got a habit of um, grinding out results as well. They they went to Wimbledon on January the 2nd and, and ground out a, a 2-1 win thanks to a late goal. So, yeah, I mean, the, the form's you know, tremendous. It's beyond everyone's wildest expectations to be top at the halfway point of the season. But it's becoming less and less of a surprise because the team just seems to overcome all the challenges, all the challenges that are put in front of them. Sure, that 4-0 be at Quinton Stanley's, even though it's only in the Papa John's, which isn't the most prestigious of tournaments, um, it's still a still a good result against uh, an at Quinton side I really think are a pretty decent unit. So that's, that stands Lincoln in good stead. The one all v Peterborough, they're obviously a good side, although we say it with three gritted teeth around here. And then the Wimbledon win, it just shows that Lincoln can, like you say, when they need to, grind it out a bit. They're not, they're not going to steamroller every team at the top of the league. They're going to have to grind some out. So shows a, a good mix. Um, not that I you know, really want to admit it either, but a good mix of performances in the recent weeks for um, the Imps. Um, that, I guess that moves us on to the freshness of both sides because we've both had a couple of games rest. But with COVID and squad caps and stuff like that, would you agree that Lincoln maybe aren't, you know, they're not the, the, the fullest strength at the moment? They maybe need a couple of reinforcements? No, yeah, I don't think they'll be at full strength on Saturday. Before the, uh, in the press conference before the Gillingham game, um, before it was postponed, Michael Afton said he would be without four players, you know, for up to three games. Um, the club isn't providing a running commentary of uh, who's got COVID and who hasn't, but... Um, uh, players like Joe Joe Walsh and uh, Tom Hopper haven't been involved um, since the turn of the year. Um, Lincoln was actually boosted by um, the return of uh, Harry Anderson and midfielder uh, Conor McGrandles on Tuesday, so I'd expect them to be involved on Saturday. And, and they are looking to strengthen the squad. They've brought in Morgan Rogers on loan from Man City. He looks a great talent, but they are looking to get a couple more deals over the line before the end of the month. Um, Speaking earlier this week, Michael Afton was hopeful of getting something done before the end of this week, but he said it's probably more likely going to happen in the early part of next week. Um, they've lost a couple of players. Um, Zach Helby, that is, uh, got on loan to Bolton for the rest of the season, and Robbie Gotts has been recalled by Leeds. Um, he can operate at right back and in midfield. He's been recalled by Leeds and sent out on loan to Salford. So I think they'd like a bit of cover at right back and um, perhaps one or two more attacking options as well before the window closes. Michael Apperton seems to have some good contacts at top-level clubs, as we saw, unfortunately, with Callum Morton, who we really wanted back at Sixfields, ended up going to you guys at Lincoln. Um, how's Callum Morton getting on? He's been injured for a while, hasn't he? Yes, he's been injured since the early weeks of the season. Um, he's got quite a serious uh, sort of shoulder-slash-pectoral injury, which he did uh, working in the gym. Um, the last I heard, he was hoping to be back in action towards the end of February. He's been recuperating back at West Brom. Um, and I think, despite as well as Lincoln have done this season, um, at times I think they have missed a player like him, a bit of a different option up front. Yeah. And, and if he can get fit again, I think the club would be really uh, hoping to have him back towards the end of the season. Um, but obviously it depends on the loan situation. You can only have a certain number of loan players in your squad at one time. 
Um, so it, it, it may depend on who else they bring to the club before the end of the month, whether, whether he does return to the club. Sure, he's a, he's a real talent, he's a real live wire and he never stops working and he's a pain to defend pretty quick and knows where the back of the net is. So he'll if he comes back, it'll be almost like a new signing for you towards the end of the, for Lincoln at the end of the yeah, season. He looked, he, he looked very good in the, in the few games we saw him at the start of the season. Mm. He came off the bench a few times and made a real impact. And, uh, yeah, real shame for him he got injured because, as you say, he looks, he looks a real prospect. Yeah, the um, 4-0 defeat for Northampton by Lincoln in December still stings this end. Which of the players that played that game for the Imps are likely to start on Saturday, would you say? Yeah, I think I think the majority. I mean, Brennan Johnson, who, who scored a couple of goals that day, um, it'll be a real threat. Um, it looks like he's going to stay at the club for the rest of the season. There was a bit of concern that he might get recalled by Forrest because of his form. But uh, Chris Hughes hinted that he's happy for him to stay put for the rest of the season. Um, Anthony Scully, who scored that goal after 60 seconds, he's been a really good form recently and is, is uh, moving up the goal charts. Um, I think it'll be a fairly similar side um, to the one we saw that day. As I say, uh, Gotts and Alfie's already moved on, so they won't be in the squad. But um, George Grant is a player to watch. He's probably the player of the season so far. Yep. Talisman in midfield, attracting attention from championship clubs. So in the process of trying to time to a new contract at the moment, because his, uh, his current deal expires in the summer. So that it's going to be tough to hang on to him, but it, it'll be... and. Uh, Patterson is hoping to get a, a deal done for Grant before the end of the month, just so uh, the club knows where they stand. And if, if they can get him on a new deal, that'd be that'd be a massive boost, as, as good as any any signing, really. Definitely, you want to get him on a new deal anyway, even if the likelihood is they might have to be sold later on. You want to get him on a new deal so you can pump up the transfer fee if he actually goes. It's always Absolutely. Going to, yeah, it's always going to be more, isn't it? Um, what do you make of Appleton's season so far? Strong start and. Is it are you confident that he can keep it going all the way through to the end? Go up as automatic? Yeah, I still think going up automatic will be a tall order. I mean, the last few weeks, it's become really tight at the top. I certainly think they're capable of finishing in the top two. I, I think it depends a little bit on how they're hit by injuries, hit by COVID. It's not the biggest squad. It's, a, it's an excellent squad and they've got cover in most positions. Um, but it's not the biggest squad. And if, if they can cope with that, I think they should be able to certainly at least seal a playoff place, um, which would be a fantastic achievement. That would be certainly beyond everyone's uh, PC's expectations. Um, but yeah, it's just been, I mean, this, the current team's widely regarded as the best team Lincoln have had since the early 80s when they last flirted with a promotion to the second tier. Um, I mean, it's not just the winning football, it's entertaining football as well, full of pace, invention, absolutely lethal on the counter-attack. And uh, they kind of set up more to playing away from home. They've actually lost four times at home this season and just once away. Um, so that might offer uh, Cobblers a little bit of a hope, maybe. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just been a phenomenal, phenomenal season so far. And just not only is he, you know, stepped into the shoes of the Cowlers, he's actually advanced the club. He's taken the club on and improved the team. That's no mean feat because the Cowleys were excellent in their time at Lincoln and brought the club on in so many different ways. Um, when you're talking about Appleton's style of play and the fans seem to be a bit of a feel-good factor around the club, even though fans can't get in, it just, just seems a slight contrast to Keith Carl's Cobblers. We're more of a dour side and we're looking probably to try and grip onto this division, keep our pace in the division and, and the fans are definitely divided on the style of play, as you will see on Saturday. We can be very. Yeah. Uh, how will we describe it? Bit of a, bit of a nullifying outfit, trying to uh, beat the opposition in, in by nullifying them rather than going, you know, on the front foot as has been described by Keith Carl. So that's something to look out for if you're a Lincoln fan. Is how we will try to nullify Lincoln's threats and how successful we are at it. Um, has Appleton got any go-to tactics that you? You can say that he's likely to use on Saturday, or is he a bit more fluid? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty fluid, really. They, they've sort of coped with all the challenges that have uh, been been put in front of them. Really, um, I mean, they, they like to um, they like to control possession when they can, but it's not just possession for possession's sake. You see, you see a lot of teams in this league just passing the ball around at the back between the defenders, but there's an urgency with when Lincoln get the ball. They try and get the ball, play it through the middle. 
um, you know, they're, they're happy to take a few risks. And, and Appleton's the kind of manager he'd rather risk the defeat in trying to get a victory. Uh, I think it's only three draws this season. So they, they well, win for the most part. And if they don't win, they, they tend, to, tend to lose. So, yeah, he, he, he's, a, he's a very positive manager. He likes to take the game to the opposition where possible. But if they're up against a team which likes to dominate the ball, as Peter were, they are happy to be organised, get in their shape and then try and hit on the counter-attack. Although I imagine on Saturday it will be Northampton who are perhaps sitting back and Lincoln dominating possession. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one. We've made a couple of signings in, um, Joe Edmondson and Bryn Morris. So we will be stronger than we have been in recent weeks. Bryn Morris is a... He played for the England under under you know seventeens teams like that, so he's got a bit of pedigree about him. He's a central midfielder, so he might just shore things up in the midfield. And we've got Ryan Edmondson on loads from Leeds United, who's pretty much a target man. He's going to head yeah. and kick everything. So that does add a little bit of grit to us. I'm still um, unsure about our central midfield presence, and for me, that has been our weakest area this season. Would you say that? Lincoln, you said that they play through the middle quite a lot. Would you say that's quite a strong area for Lincoln City, the central midfield? Yeah, I think so. Um, Liam Bridcott's recently returned from injury. He's got the holding player in midfield. And because he's come back into the side, it's meant George Grant has been able to play a bit further forward and get more involved with uh, with the team in an attacking sense. Sure. So um, that's really, really helped the club. We've got, it's quite a young team, but they have got quite a lot of experience through the centre, through the spine of the team. Um and, you know, a lot of pace out wide. Um, as I say, Brennan Johnson, he, he may play through the middle because with Tom Hocker being out the side, Johnson's been the player to play through the middle. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if Morgan Rogers, the lad from Man City, gets a start on Saturday and he looks a real talent as well. Um, and then um, Scully out wide as well. So there's lots, lots of pace in the team. I'll try and get the, the ball wide. But, uh, yeah, they're not certainly not one-dimensional di- and... Um, you know, it's really good. To, it's really good to watch at times. It sounds like it, and it, it feels like the midfield battle is going to be really important on Saturday, as it is in a lot of football games. But other than that, our, our wing backs are something to look at. I think we're often quite vulnerable behind in behind the wing backs to a little bit of pace. Have you got any pace in the side? Yeah, lots of pace in the side. Um, as I say, there's Johnson. The fullbacks always try to get forward wherever possible. They, Michael Appleton really loved his forwards. His fullbacks too, be almost like attacking players. He, he, he doesn't mind if they occasionally make a few mistakes. I mean, the regular left back at the moment, Taylor Eden, um, came to the club as a midfielder predominantly. Um, and he had a bit of a shaky start to the season, lost his place in the side, but in the, over the last month or so, he's really found some consistency uh, left back. And, and Appleton accepts that, has not been a natural left back, he will make it the odd mistake, but he really offers something to the team going forward. And on the opposite flank, TJ Aoma, who's been a model of consistency, he's on loan from Spurs, um, he, he loves to get forward as well. So. Um, yeah, I mean, there's pace throughout the team, and that was something Appleton wanted to bring into the side. The, the, the side that he inherited from um, the Cowleys, it was it was ageing slightly. Um, it, it didn't have a, a huge amount of pace, and that was something he really wanted to change, and he, he certainly done that. That would be a concern for me, the pace element, but I guess we're just going to have to see what happens on Saturday. Moving to things off the field for Lincoln, I have been quite impressed at how. Lincoln have expanded their fan base in recent years and like you said the feel good factor around the football club and just trying to grow grow um, football in Lincolnshire you know with all due respect Lincolnshire is not you know a massive hotbed of football um, so it's, it's not the easiest of jobs but Lincoln I was looking at some of Lincoln's average attendances so back in 2011 so 10 years ago the average attendance was about 3,500 now it's up around 9,000 sometimes they get gates of 10,000 almost a, a triple in attendances. Would you say that's an accident or do you think that's something they've really worked on to try and get people through the gates and try and build the fan base? Well, I think the key thing for me was the first season under the Cowleys. I mean, three and a half thousand figure you mentioned. If you actually, if you take the, the years in the National League, the average crowd was about two and a half thousand. At some weeks, they weren't even getting 2,000 for home matches. Sure. Um, and then the Cowleys came in, they had that incredible FA Cup one where they got to the quarterfinals, loads of exposure locally and nationally, and it just put the club back on the map for 
people in the local area who probably you know support your Man United and your Liverpools. Um, so for the last three seasons, the average gate has been about nine thousand, and it, it would have been in excess of that um, this season had fans been allowed in the ground. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that first season of the Cowleys was key, really. And, and they're actually looking to expand the stadium, the uh, Stacey West Stand behind the goal, which is uh, the traditional away end. They're looking to put an extra tier on top of that, which would take the uh, capacity to around 11,500. Um, whether that gets done this summer is a bit unclear. It might be done the following summer. Depends on sort of uh, COVID and, uh, and the economy and such like that. But that, that is something they're actively looking to do because once fans get back in the ground and if they continue the way they're going, they're going to be you know selling out most games. And if they were to go up go up to the championship, I, I imagine pretty much every game would be a sellout. Yeah, I think there's been good growth at Lincoln, growing the fan base in a you know a gradual way, just trying to you know, inch your way up bit by bit. That's reflected on the football pitch. I like going to Lincoln as a, an away fan and just a visitor. It's it's, it's a good vibe at the, the uh, Sinsel Bank and there's like a fan zone and there's like an ultras you know group at Lincoln to make a good atmosphere. So it's a, you know it's a, when fans are back out back in, it would be a good day out, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's another key thing to the club's success. The atmosphere is just, you know, absolutely electric on, on match days, whereas it used to be a bit drab when they were getting barely 2,000. I think it's a bit of a snowball effect, really. People just love the atmosphere and it convinced everyone else to keep to keep turning up. And, you know, the last season at times was quite difficult as Mike Appleton got to grips with the team. Um, it was clear the aim of the game was just to get through to the end of the season. Um without being drawn into a relegation battle. Um, but the fans stuck with them and, you know, they were still getting crowds of eight, nine thousand despite being in the uh, bottom half of the league. So, yeah, I mean, I think they've certainly, you know, a lot of people will say Lincoln fans are glory supporters who only latched onto the club in the last few years. But I think they've certainly uh, increased the, the hardcore fan base uh, rather than just sort of the part-time fans. Yeah, that's definitely an important thing to do. And I, I think in a lot of ways, if you're a a lower league club, maybe a non-league club, and looking at how you grow your fan base and how you make those gradual steps up through the divisions. I think Lincoln are, are quite a good model to have a look at. Um, let's get on to the nitty-gritty of a match prediction for Saturday. It's it's a difficult one to predict in certain ways because of the break that both teams have had, not really played too much. Obviously, form is going to play a big part and where we are both in the league table. How do you see it going in terms of a scoreline on Saturday? Um, I do think Lincoln will win the game. I think they'll be revved up after um, sort of not playing for a week and a half. I don't think it'll be as one-sided as we saw in the reverse fixture. I imagine Northampton will make it as difficult as they can. Um, so I'll go for a 2-0 Lincoln win. That's reasonable, I think. I, I, we'll offer, hopefully, a little bit more threat with um, Ryan Edmondson coming in and a bit the grit in midfield. Hopefully, shore things up a little bit through the middle. So I'm going to go two-one Lincoln. Um, I think we realistically we've got bigger battles to face in terms of our, or more realistic battles to face in terms of our league survival in games like Wigan and people like that. So it's not a free hit for Cobblers at all. We will obviously expect to put a good performance in, but if we if we lose, I don't think it, anyone will be too surprised. But as long as as a Northampton fan, we just want to see. The team go toe to toe, put in a performance. Don't really sit back and just let Lincoln come at us all game. We really want to see a, you know, a good, a good toe to toe battle. And both teams can should actually be able to to do that with uh, the the layoff they've had. So, um, enjoy the game on Saturday. Thanks a lot for talking to me, and um, we'll speak again soon. No problem. All the best, Tom. Thanks a lot. Take care, mate. Cheers. Right. Let's have a quick discussion of uh, Harry Smith leaving for Motherwell. Won't go into it too much. Martin, do you reckon that is a good move for him and Northampton? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I think um, it hasn't really worked out for him from here. He's um, he's had the odd half this season. We've started to think, well, it's you know, it's coming together, but it's just not worked out. And I think you know, I, I'm not one of those that will castigate players for protect, you know, not trying. And that I think professional footballers, that's very, very rare. But when things aren't working out for you and you're going out there again and again, sometimes 
it's probably not going to work in the environment you're in. And I think moving out to different up the SPL, you know, which is a, a, a decent decent league, maybe you know rebuild himself a bit of value up there, um, change the scenery, and see how it goes. I don't. It was hard to see. I think you know he's had more than a fair crack of the whip un, under Curl. Um, clearly, even before the signings recently, um, he's kind of seems seems to be liking Ashley Seal and Rose as a front two. It was hard to see him coming back in, and certainly once we once we signed Edmondson, um, I think he'd have been well down the pecking order. And you know, he's, I, I assume he's on decent money because he came in with a bit of a, if not a fanfare, certainly it was it was a big signing. Getting some of that off the wage bill, probably a good thing. So, yeah, good move all round. I hope it works out from up there. Um, unlikely, I would imagine, to see him back in a cobbler shirt. Yeah, he's got 18 months left on his contract, which is slightly concerning how you can offload him if we need to with that much contract left. It, it might happen, but Motherwell is a very good club and it's a good move for him. The SPL, I know it gets castigated quite a lot, but it's still a good, pretty good standard of football. I would say that. Deliveries to him hasn't been great. He's often been plowing alone furrow when he's when he's played. And I think the stats, I know I'm a stats sort of nerd, but I think we're the low, second lowest in League One for crosses this season. So I wouldn't say the deliveries have been there for a player of yeah. you know, a target man. But I wish him, wish him well up, up, up in Scotland and hopefully he kicks on a little bit. Um, Let's have a little talk. It's been a, quite a, uh, a rainy week this week. So let's have a little talk about... Um, Rainy Cobblers games. I put out on Twitter you know, the games where fans had got soaking over the years, and we got quite a few back. Um, Jeff, have you got any tales of when you've got soaked through? Was there any leaky roos in any press boxes? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have. And obviously, that um, is it. Storm Christoph, is it that we've had this obviously wiped out of the game this week? I read um, James's James Hennigan's Twitter. He's he, I think he'd got to the, he'd got to the game. Or the, right. certainly the town anyway, and uh, and was time to immediately go back home, which is always annoying. I'm not sure that happened actually that many times. Um, to me, leaky roofs and leaky press boxes. Actually, no. There were, uh, you, you're always quite well looked after, um, you know, in terms of that side of the facilities. Although, having said that, however, interesting story. The Liverpool game I saw came up quite a lot on on Twitter when we, it was being discussed this yeah. week. Um, and by all accounts, people in the in the towards the front of the stand got soaked during the game and then after the game as well. Um, we had a couple of photographers at that game. Um, I, I, it won't be fair for me to name them, um, but they were both they're both they're both women and they're both absolutely drenched because they were obviously on the touchline and they were they were soaked by the end of the game. You know, like uncomfortably wet. This ridiculous. So yeah. me being a you know, consummate gentleman and, let's be honest, very, very giddy at, being, at seeing the Cobblers win at Liverpool. And, you know, another part of it was I, I would definitely rate that as one of the best moments of my career because I got to write the match report that was in the Cron and will forever be in the Cron. You know, I'd looked up previously the match report for when they beat Arsenal in 1958 and thought, wow, imagine the honour of being the guy that wrote that. And stuff. So you know, I was I was in good spirits. Let's say um, <laughs> we got back to the car after the game, and there's no way this this one this one woman could could have gone travelled back in the condition she was in. So me, being a gentleman, said, "Look, I tell you what, just have my jeans. Just just wear my jeans. It'll be all right." So um, <laughs> um, we basically just swapped swapped trousers. And that, that's fine. You know, I still had a coat on. It's OK. You know, there's, there's no biggie. But then we stopped at a service station on the way back uh, somewhere <laughs> on the M6. Right. <laughs> so by this point, it's about 2 a.m. Um, we're the only people that walk into this service station and the staff from the couple of outlets that are open are all kind of just sat on one table playing cards. No, no social distancing in this in this period, obviously. Um, and the female photographer walked in wearing my jeans to she i'm i'm about six foot she's probably about five foot um she looked like one of the backstreet boys you know holding them up they're enormous drowning her and i walked in wearing just my coat which sat unfortunately was a kind of sort of a, a beige uh macintosh let's say so i was wearing, so I was wearing that 
with <laughs> it came down to just above the knee. Um, so I was wearing that, and then socks and shoes. And I, we so we walked across. The, there's a few of us. Tom Vickers was there as well. We we walked across because we were going to the toilets. We walked across, and the the people playing cards at the table just sort of like just like stared at us, open mouths in silence, and just watched us all the way across. We were like, hello, good, good evening. And then went to the, 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 the things that a, a massive cup upset will do to you, you know, that's, and that's, that's my story of Liverpool, basically. The thing is, though, that, you know, like lucky, lucky jeans and stuff, lucky clothes, when you get a big win like that, you have to wear them for every week after that. <laughs> yeah, you should have done, really. But the, the, before the obviously the round prior to that they played at Reading, and um, what and it was three all wasn't it? And then we, we went on penalties that time as well, and the, there was a goal right at the end, and then right at the end as well, and that was a massively dramatic match. And this was the same photographer, and I said to her after that game, I said, "You'll never do another game like that for us. You know, you'll never <laughs> see you'll never see drama like that another Northampton game. You've, it was one of our first games as well. So you've you've peaked you've peaked early here, and then obviously the Liverpool game was." Just, just slightly more dramatic. <laughs> was that the Reading game where the less, lesser spotted Alex Constantino played, or was on the? It, yeah, that's sure. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just read out a few of the readers and Twitter people's uh, most rainiest matches. There's been quite some good ones um, tweeted in again. Craig Ad- Adams, who played for Northampton back in the day, he was talking about one Coventry City FA Cup late eighties. You might be talking about that 1991, actually, because I remember um, that Death Radio, I think, was a Yeah. Was a um, Helen Hickman went with Anfield. I was in the, the front three rows, as Jeff has said, absolutely soaking, but you just didn't notice it. It was with such a tenter hook. You didn't really notice you were getting wet through. Um, what else have we got? We've got Bath in 1992. Now, that's pretty much before my time. Did you go to that one, Martin? Bath, 92? I, I didn't. If I remember rightly, I think we we drew drew two each there and beat them three 0 in the replay. Um, but no, I, I wasn't there. But I can imagine with any non-league ground and it being a wet day, you're going to feel it. <laughs> funny, funny that that bath is wet. Um, Danny Folks tweeted that one in, and he said that uh, Barry Richardson battered the ball into some guttering above the bath fans and gave them a right old soaking. So that's quite good. <laughs> From Danny Fakes. Probably Barry Richardson never, didn't mean to do that, did he? Probably just shot it. <laughs> um, yeah, Rich Colson said Bath away in the early 90s as well. Um, Ali, 1973, Tolbert tweeted us a little clip actually from Notts County away. That beautiful yellow kit, absolutely soaking through the fans' were, And I think we actually got tonked there, funnily enough. I don't know how that happened. We had such a good side. Um, Clean Townsend says uh, Friday night v Bristol Rovers away springs to mind. I don't think I've ever been yeah, down. I, I think I was at this Bristol Rovers game. It might have been a Good Friday or something. Um, okay. Martin Smith and Richard. Well, we, we were one nil down. We're down that side bit of the Memorial, which is like open. If the wind's blowing the wrong way and it's raining, it's it's horrific. And they absolutely pummeled us for about sixty minutes, and then we won it. And it was just like unbelievable we had no it felt like we had no right to to be in the game but smith and walker um got the goals but it was me and my andy were there and we were absolutely soaked but as ever a bit like liverpool on a smaller scale when you win it matters a lot less you're probably yeah. a few pints deep as well mine so he had a beer jacket on <laughs> I'd, imagine so. I'd imagine so yeah we were on the bus so no one was having a <laughs> Um, I remember definitely Cardiff away, 97, in the playoff semi-final at Ninian Park. That was an open terrace, and that was raining the whole time. Um, that was a game where Sean Parrish chipped the keeper. But yet again, just when you're just in that sort of element, you don't really notice it too much. One game I did actually notice it completely, and I still remember it vividly, even though it was a childhood memory. And I think Jeff was at this game as well, or Jeff knows about this game. Bromsgrove Rovers FA Cup. I think that was about 93 times, something like that. Mm. It just rained continuously throughout the game. And we got beaten, didn't we, Jeff, by yeah. these um, supposed non-league minnows that actually played better than us. Non-league upstarts. A, a ver- yeah. a ver- there was a very funny um, hotel end shout at that as well, because they were 1-0 up and we were sort of um, knocking on the door for an equaliser. Uh, and obviously it didn't come. And I think they, they, they then went 2-0 up, Bromsgrove, and then we scored. 
you know, like when it didn't matter. And this bloke shouted out, of course you fucking score now, don't you? <laughs> which was just, which was just, just, just poetry, wasn't it? The, the, everything you love about the host of there. But they had the, um, like the guttering at the front was all leaking, I remember, because we were quite far back in the hotel end. But it was like, le- it rained all day and the guttering was re- leaking, pouring out. And there were people stood down there. And I was thinking, Jesus Christ. Imagine being stood under that, like a leaky, a leaky gutter, watching your team lose 2-1 at home to a non-league side. Think things could only get better from there. But then, of course, we lost 2-1 to a non-league side this year, didn't we? So, you know, plus the change and all that. <laughs> uh, I remember the game because I got the bus and the bus was late. And really, my sensor should have been saying, just don't go to this game. I was with my yeah. friends and like, why not just go home? But no, we were like, we were going to this bloody game against Bromsgrove, got to the ground late, came in and it, yeah, it was just grey and gloomy. And they, I've watched back in the video and the video, it's a quite a funny one. The video is available on YouTube for this. If you just YouTube Bromsgrove Northampton. So I just, because I, me and Jeff have talked about this before. I thought, right, I'll just watch this a little bit of this game, you know, reminisce. It was obviously a bad time, but I started watching it and I got to nine minutes in and I thought, no one scored in this game yet. What is going on? It's highlights. <laughs> and then I realised it was part one of five of this bloody game. Oh, wow. <laughs> so is it the whole game? The whole game is available. So it's a real wormhole one. And I haven't watched part two yet, but some of the football on display, oh, my God. Like there's a Steve Terry uh, clearance at one point where he just completely... Do you know when you go to kick the ball, but it goes off completely off the wrong side of your foot? Um, I, I know that feeling it. very well. <laughs> <laughs> he just shanks it into the stand, and then there's so like cobblers at that time seemed to be I wouldn't I wouldn't say sublime. There was no you know sublimeness. It was a lot of you know ridiculousness with some okay play. <laughs> like Mickey Bell would get the ball and play really nicely, go down the wing. Then you had Ian Gilzine, like 50p hair, <laughs> it would go straight out. It was it's a really strange contrast of of things, and I think that's maybe what sucks people in. Suck people in in those days. It was quite. It was quite a laugh, wasn't it, Jeff? That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, uh, <laughs> Look, in retrospect, it is. I don't think it was very funny at the time, mind you. <laughs> no, no, that game, that you know, that game and that result. Um, they had a guy caught up front called Recky Carter. That's right. Who, yeah. yeah. Who, who I, I sort of googled. He, he looks like a really good player. One of these guys that never actually left Bromsgrove or played all his best <laughs> games for Bromsgrove, but so much better than our players. Why don't we just sign him? But yeah, yeah, God knows. Um, Martin, did anyone else, anyone else watch that game or watch that video? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I haven't put myself through the video. I don't think I've went high up on the on the to-do list. Yeah, I, I remember being there. I remember there was a bit, there was a bit of noise, wasn't there, about Recky Carter, I think, before it. He was someone who was going to be destined for, for bigger things but never made it. But no, they, they did a good number on us. Mm, they it did. And so, yeah, if you've got a spare... You know, God knows, an hour of, of your time, 90 minutes, you can go and watch that. But, yeah, I <laughs> recommend it, apart from the hardcore. Um, but, yeah, that was a wet game, one of those games where it just sort of like, you know, it's spitting, as Peter Kay said, just sort of fight that fine rain, that fine rain that soaks you through and uh, makes you question your life choices afterwards. Um, right, let's, finally, let's move on to the Cobblers A to Z. We're on to the letter P. Um We'll go through, we're running out of time, but so we'll go through some of the readers' ones. We'll um, get some good ones from that because we've had some really good ones um, tweeted in as usual. The first one we'll talk about is um, Peter Michelander. Now, he's a really sort of like blast from the past. And one of these guys, when you look at his Wikipedia, is much more interesting than you sort of took him for at the time. Um, Gavin Foster tweeted us, Peter Michelander. He's a Czech guy. Is that right, Jeff? I think so, yeah. Centre forward signed on loan from West Ham. Is that right? Yeah, he's very tall as far as I remember, like yeah. a beanpole sort of guy. Yeah. Um, one, one, of, one of many players signed from a, a much bigger and better club who have completely disappointed. Yeah, so one of the ones that sort of excites when you sign him. But yeah. looking at his Wikipedia, I'm not sure, you know, how sort of accurate wikipedia is but he's had a much more interesting story than i gave him credit for so he scored his first competitive goal for you know this is a russian team ziskov or you know so it might even be checked in in 2003 um signed by west ham in july 2005 scored 13 goals in the czech second division before west west ham got him 
Um, came to Northampton on loan in September 2005, where he made three league and cup appearances. His league, his loan spell at Northampton was cut short by injury. Um, played for Rochdale and Diamonds, Andy. Don't know if you remember him. Um, uh, then he had a problem with his kidney, of all things. Forced, forced to stop his career because he needed a kidney transplant. Um, yeah, sort of unusual. So he had his kidney I transplant. I feel bad now. <laughs> <laughs> But then he went into um, management and he managed um, a club in the Czech Republic called FC Taborsko, which sounds like a lovely hot chili sauce. A saucy outfit. (laughs) He's a saucy outfit in the Bohemian Football League, which is (laughs) it brings up so many images of like like barefoot and uh, reading poetry and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So. Michelander managed in the Bohemian Football League, uh, FC Tabasco Source. And um, then he went, he's now at Al Rayed in Saudi Arabia, managing the under-23s. So it's sort of like, when you look into these guys, yeah, of course he is. When you look into these guys, it's a bit strange. Significantly less uh, barefooted poetry reading and uh, and progressive progressive thoughts and stuff in in that environment, I would imagine, compared to the Bohemian League. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um so peter michelander is a is a really good one um there's a, one that andy and martin might know a little bit about ian might know a little bit about as well uh ian towns has come up with um paul mcmenemy can you ring a bell i think he was in yeah. 1987 yeah came in i think when trevor morley got injured um i think it was against newcastle and so we're a striker down and he came, he came in on loan, I think from West Ham. He's Laurie, Laurie Mennery's son. Oh, um, okay. Scored two on his debut. Yeah, two on his debut against Rochdale, a 5-0 win. I think the OT, I was in the family enclosure at the top that season. But I remember the fans seeing one Paul McMenemy and thinking, oh, this lads. I mean, it was that season, everything we touched just went right. But it was, it was just like, wow, we've got a good player here. But by kind of a couple of games in, he might have played three or four. It was like the, the, they weren't chanting his name, at least not in a good night. <laughs> and they'd moved, they'd moved Phil Chard to play up front instead. Yeah, he had, I mean, to be fair, however crap he was, he scored two, he scored two league goals in his debut. It's something none of us will be able to say. <laughs> Just mention yeah. that Newcastle match there. That was actually 34 years ago. Like the date of the recording for uh, broadcast purposes. That was 34 years ago today, wasn't it? Cobbler's Pass put that up. Do you know how I remember that really well? If you watch the um, the Rising to the Top video, the um, Andy, the Gary Maybe one. Yeah, yeah. It's not Gary Maybe commentating, I don't think, is it? But whoever's commentating gets really, really excited in that game and he makes a really big point. Like, it's the first Cobblers player to score two goals on his debut since one, whatever, you know. <laughs> Frank Large, probably, I don't know. But yeah, I just that always sticks in my mind from that video. And I remember watching that thinking, wow, he's really good. What? But then, you know, there were so many goals in that team. He was he was probably going to look distinctly average next to everybody else, wasn't he? Because, um, mm. yeah, because Morley got, Morley got injured at that in that Newcastle game, didn't he, in the cut? And that was... Um, that was why there was a there was an opening for him, but yeah, Laurie McMahon and his son. Yeah, like you said, there's not many players that will score two on their debut, um, so he was a good one. Um, Phil Kirby's mentioned Patrick Kanyuka. Now there's a name to conjure with. I think he was a defender, if I'm right. Is that right? Yeah, centre back. Yeah. Yeah, any 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 stories about him, Jeff, or is he just a, one of these anonymous sort of guys? Not really. He's just like, yeah, you know, he he probably in that. I think he, I, I don't think he was great. Um, so I don't think he's necessarily in the, you know, the uh, Martin's sort of Ben Harding esque mass, like you know, like amorphous blob of players in the middle that are neither dreadful or or uh, outstanding he's probably more towards the dreadful end of that of that blob uh i've described him beautifully there if, if he's listening <laughs> to this he'll be absolutely absolutely uh, crestfallen to hear himself described us um yeah a, a fairly not very good center back he had white boots i remember thinking which is a bit of a 
a red white boots are a red flag for centre back. <laughs> <laughs> he gave his all for the football club. I'll have you know. He'll be getting very upset. He's, he listens every week as well. So the subscriber. <laughs> yeah, I vaguely remember him. Um, I think he might have done something calamitous. Don't quote me on that. But th- to be fair, that could be anyone. <laughs> Ad Richards. This is a player I sort of vaguely remember. Warren Patmore, striker, I think, who after two years with the Cobblers went to Yeovil and considered one of their greatest ever players. Does anyone yeah. remember Warren Patmore? Yeah, he had yes. like a like floppy sort of Paul Merson sort of curly hair. Uh, I think he was actually yeah. a really good golfer as well. I think he was a scratch golfer. Okay. Wow. I remember him being described, I think it was, oh, I can't remember where, but as a, he looked like a beach bum. And he came on. <laughs> that sticks in my mind. Someone would say, who's this? He looks like a beach bum. I remember people being aghast. <laughs> this guy was actually like made it to come on and play for the Cobblers as if we'd hit a low point. Yeah, but like you're saying, another one who went on and every, and he did really well elsewhere. Yeah, you'd see his name on the video printer on Grandstand. You think, oh, here he is, another one. Yeah, mate, it's still around. <laughs> Another one doing really well after he's left us. They're obviously a bit more accepting of his beach bum lifestyle down in Somerset. Exactly. He had almost like an Australian name as well. Imagine him home and away, can't you? (laughs) I think, though, that um, you can imagine in Northampton, landlocked Northampton, beach bum is a bit of a slur, isn't it? It's like (laughs) how you've seen the sea, mate. You sea dweller. That was the <laughs> ultimate outsider. Yeah. <laughs> You've seen the sea recently. But yeah, I've heard him mentioning dispatches for Yo- uh, Yeovil and other clubs. So he obviously wasn't too bad. Um, Tim Moore, Tiny Tim Moore tweeted us. Uh, Paul Wilkinson, who was actually not a bad player and I think played at a quite a high level for Watford. Striker, but just didn't do anything for us under Ian Atkins. Gary Thompson mentioned it. Anyone remember Paul Wilkinson? Yeah, yeah. He'd been at Middlesbrough yeah. as well, hadn't he? I don't think he played Forest. 20-odd games and didn't score. Oh, did he get one? Did he get one? Oh. Or was it a winner at Burnley, get... I think? Oh, I see. Nice. that T-shirt's done saying I saw Paul Wilkinson <laughs> score. <laughs> but he oh, been... well, assistant coach and yeah. maybe I've just made up. He played for Forest, I think, in, a, in pretty good Forest teams. I think it was, I'm sure it was Gary Thompson that said, it was because Wilkinson was a good player, but he, when Atkins signed him, he's like, what you signed? He, he just does not fit your style of play. He's just not the right mm-hmm. type. Atkins was just sort of besotted with what he thought he could get. And yeah. it was a, um, a disaster all round, really. Mm. But did Wilkinson end up being player, uh, not player manager, was he coaching here a couple of years ago? Am yeah. I mistaken? And he might have even been in charge in between a couple of managers. Yeah, yeah that's that to someone. No one, and it's maybe a topic for another time. No one will ever top David Lee's spell as caretaker. One seven two home defeat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, do you remember the post match interview as well? Oh, I did. I can Does only it? imagine it was. Um, I've got, I forgot, I've forgotten that. Page-esque, I can imagine. He seemed the, um, sort of guy. At one point, he was just completely exasperated with Jeff Doyle and just said, well, what do you want me to say? And it's like, well, <laughs> how do you mean? <laughs> how do you mean, David? <laughs> you're, meant to, you're, meant, you're meant to give some kind of response and explanation to the fans. <laughs> it was brilliant. It was just like he was just completely, he, he obviously knew there was no way he was going to get a job then. So I just thought, I thought, well, why even bother going through the pretense of this post-match interview? Yeah, so you can imagine David Lee having to go back to his wife. He's obviously, she's like, good luck. Good luck, David, as he goes off to stake his claim for the cobbler's job. But he gets over and she's like, how did you get on, Dave? <laughs> yeah, we got Kane 7-2. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That was the game where um, Kelvin Langmead tried to tried to punch the ball off the line and ended up punching it into his own net. We probably should have been booked or maybe even sent off for that. And I think the referee just felt sorry for him to just let it go. Because I think that, yeah. that was like the sixth or seventh goal. So. 
well, don't worry, don't worry about it, Kel. Just, just, just get on with it. Uh, when he gets to the referee feeling so sorry for you that he just like turns the blind eye to yeah. flagrant uh, rule breaking, it's just a bit of a sad situation, isn't it? But yeah, Kelvin Langham. He's not the first to hit the ball over his own line. I remember um, Chris Dunn. Uh, it makes me shudder every time. Burton I'll be in the way. Terrible. Um, Pete Smith from Keith Buckby. Pete Smith. Now, uh, Pete Smith was the comment. How would you describe it? Announcer at the county ground, wasn't he? Bit of a character. Yeah. And you know, one of these old school announcers didn't. I don't think he got the gig when he went to Sixfields. Was a shame. But um, Keith Buckby. For a little bit. Yeah, he might have been there for a little bit, but Keith Buckby tweeted us saying that, and uh, Pete Smith, if you never said this, you can just don't, just get in contact and we'll uh, correct it, but Keith Buckby seems to remember that uh, <laughs> Pete Smith said about a player called Michael Jackson for Preston, he thinks. Um, hold on to your kids, it's Michael Jackson. <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> So we shouldn't laugh. It's, it's, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not big and it's not clever. But that's just maybe the sort of stuff you might have said at the time. Um, Ian, didn't you say that you remember a bit about Pete Smith? Yeah, like you say, he was old school announcer, a bit of a character. He used to, he was quite, you know, had quite a dry sense of humour. He was sort of part of the furniture at the county ground. He used to, I always remember. I'm sure long term, you know, long term Cobblers fans listening to this will remember. He always used to do his little safety thing where we. He'd go, it's that time of the week again where I'll come over to the front of the hotel end and get all the kids who are sat on this first little bit. Can you get down from there, kids? That's it. Well done. And he used to like walk along to make sure they all got down in those, you know, I suppose it was three Hillsborough days. We'll wrap up now. We've read out quite a few of the conversations. Thanks again for everyone for sending them in. Some really good ones as usual. We're really going through it. Yeah, Zed soon, which is going to be an interesting one. <laughs> I'm off to research my American presidents. We're going to go back into the 19th century for our cobblers related American presidents next week. You guys take it easy, including uh, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson Lake, Martin Van Buren Maloney, Andrew Jackson Bodfish, and Ian Biden-Brandt. Take it easy, guys. See you soon. Cheers, all. See you, guys. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.